Well, Christmas is over, right? Is it like a, like a bunch of build-up for like one day? It's like you spend so much money. I you don't have the countless hours shopping, and it goes by like that. It's like it's kind of a disappointment. I hope you guys got something good. Is anybody wearing something they got for Christmas? A few of you? Okay. Did anybody of you get something bad? Something that goes in like the, uh, what do they call it, the re-gift pile? A couple of you did? Yeah. You know, you always have like that strange aunt, right, that still thinks you're about six years old. And you get like, listen, I'm 30 already. Please, stop. Um, but like I was thinking about like all these, the gifts that could possibly be given and some of the worst ones. And I went online and just took a look. So I have a few that I brought for you today. And uh, one of them was the dog poop calendar. Do we have that? Let's see. Yeah. Monthly dues. See. And this, uh, she's holding a piece of dog poop. And each week, I know, it's gross. Each, week, each month they feature dog poop, like uh, positioned somewhere in your yard, whatever. One, a gnome is like calling it off in a little thing. It's pretty cool if you like that kind of thing. <laughs> um, another thing I saw was how to tie a tie tie. See that? Now, I don't know what your boss is like commenting about your intelligence if he gives you this tie. You know, so you can look, just see how you tie your own tie. You can just look down. It's kind of like when you write on your hand the instructions. Um, but if you didn't like that, there's probably something else like the finger nose hair trimmer. It actually looks like a finger. The, 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 the way they sell it, it says it's everyone's first pick for nasal hair removal. Um, I wouldn't buy it, but... <laughs> see, also, there's the underwear repair kit for men. All right? Okay, <laughs> you guys? I don't know what this says about our economy lately, you know, if you've got to repair your underwear. But the truth is, I don't think a man really needs it. It comes with duct tape, and it comes with some extra elastic to put on it, and uh, different things like that, little patches. But the truth is, like, if a man's got a hole in his underwear, he's probably going to wear it anyway, right? It takes his wife to throw it out. So, I don't know, the wife's going to be using that. And here, here's this one, you might have seen it before, is the slanket, right? Or the snuggie, yeah? Did anyone here get one of those? Anybody? No? Good, good, because I don't want to see you wearing it around here. They probably use it up north or whatever, but it's this thing. I don't know, I got it in my email constantly. It's like this blanket that has like sleeves, so you can like be comfortable. And they encourage you to wear it outside too, I guess. Anyway, let's get rid of this. Let's get rid of this blanket or the snuggie. Um, but listen, after you unwrapped all your presents, now you have this space, right? This, there's nothing under your tree, so eventually you have to get rid of your tree. And I was also thinking about that. When's like the most? When's the time do you get rid of your tree? Is there like an etiquette? Because you know, when do people set up? People say different things, and it's like, when do you tear down? It's like there's got to be an appointed time. And there, there was actually there was four different like opinions on it, and one could be before the new year. Because what you don't want to do, if you're superstitious, is take the past into you, uh, in with the future, because that's bad luck. So it would be before the new year. Another one would be January 5th. And January 5th is the last day of the 12 days of Christmas that start on December 25th. So if you've given 12 gifts out, that's the last day. Okay, time's up. Now let's take the tree out of the way. And finally might be uh, January 6th. Did I say December 5th? I meant January 5th. But January 6th would be... Three Kings Day, right? You guys familiar with that? A few places. Puerto Rico, I think, celebrates it still. 
And uh, that's the day that God uh, came in the form of man, the epiphany. So you, that's one of those days. And then the last one is finally whenever you want to. And you have some of those relatives, right? You go visit in February and it's still up. And you're like, hey, can you just get rid of that already? But like when you take down your tree, what do you do with it? When Carolina, we were thinking, well, we get rid of it. We bought a fake one, you know, we've put in a box. But we had moved our furniture around so that we could then uh, put the tree in it, right? And that's what you guys do. You put it someplace where it's prominently displayed, either by the window so that others can see it, or like where you want it to be, where you can easily access those gifts for tearing apart on Christmas morning. But now when you get rid of it, you have this space. And I was saying to Carolina, we're like, are we going to move our furniture back the way it was, or are we going to try something different? You know, because we've got a little room here and there. And so we're trying to think about exactly what we want to do. But for you guys, what are you going to do? Have you thought about that? I bet it comes to your mind because you've already taken the time to move tables and move furniture. And you're like, well, let's just see if it'll look better here or there. And we have this opportunity every year to change our living arrangement, right? To make it look different. But we also have this opportunity to change our lives. Do you know in three days it's going to be the new year? Right. And traditionally, that's the time where we all make resolutions in our life. Like, well, hey, we're going to make some changes. We're going to do things differently. You know, and I guess the question is this year. Are you going to do things differently and bring change into your life that you didn't have last year? You know, I think we all desire to be in a different place. Right. We want next year to be better than it was last year. Just generally, if you're like me, what happens is in October, I just kind of shut down. Like, because here's what's going to happen. Thanksgiving is coming, so I have to eat. So who cares if I have a diet, right? And now I've got to buy presents, and I'm going to have to run around last minute, so who cares what I'm spending on my spending, right, my finances? So, like, around October, that shuts down, and for, like, two months, there I have no goals, I have no desires to do stuff, and I'm, like, sitting around doing nothing. And by this time, January, everybody's thinking about renewal, I start going, man, I've got to get some goals going here, I've got to get some changes. And all of us are thinking, man, I could use some changes, and that's just natural time that we do it. And the truth is, there's things in our lives that we probably are worn out, that are not usable anymore, that are just in the way. Or there's just stuff that we'd like to change about our personality, maybe our jobs, maybe our finances, maybe relationships. And we're looking at all these things We say, hey, we want to have some new things come into our lives. But just wanting those things is not going to get it for us. It's been said, you know, if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. And... We need to seize the opportunities to make changes in our lives if we want them to come in. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Jesus said this when talking about change. It's in your outline. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But the new wine must be put into new wineskins. He's saying, listen, when there's change coming, it's a spiritual truth that he's trying to tell us about he says when there's something new coming it doesn't always fit into the old you see there may be a way of living or a way a thing that's in your life that is not allowing for the new to come in sometimes our lives are just situated in a way that it just can't possibly come in the first thing we need to know about change if we want change in our lives is that we need to move some things out when i moved into my house six years ago i bought this house uh, and the, the woman had moved out, and she left just a ton of stuff there. There was like a computer desk, there was uh, chairs, there was all sorts of stuff in this house, and there was this big white couch, uh, a fabric couch. Now, personally, I, I refuse to buy things that are white because I get them all dirty. Uh, you know, it's, in a minute, I'll be dirty. So it's like, I don't really 
want a white couch in my house, but I kept it because I didn't really have much furniture. So I left it there. And if you guys know me, I have a dog. And now Max is not allowed on the couch. But I would notice when I would come home that there'd be a warm spot on the couch, right? You guys ever knew that? The dog, when I'm there, he like asks politely to get up. But when I'm not there, he's like doing whatever he wants. Your dog, you know that? When you're gone, your dog, your cat are doing things that you guys have no idea what's going on. But you see little evidence trails usually. Listen, I got a picture of Max. And actually, that's my dog, Emmy. And here's this couch. And look at this couch. It used to be white. And that's really the color. It's all gray and dirty now. Here's Emmy. She, she, she's the new dog I have. And she's kind of one of those ones that kind of look, they're kind of crazy. You're not sure what they're thinking. Because she, she goes outside. She, she like cleared this area full of dirt. And all she does is go out there and lay in the dirt. So obviously, when she comes in and lays on that couch, it just gets crazy. Well, I had this thing in my house for six years. And many of you know, I I got married. Carolina moved into my house. The first thing she looked at that couch was like, that thing is out of here, right? Because she's come over before. And I steam cleaned it. I used to put coverings on it, you know, to try to hide it. But it's like nobody wants to sit on that couch. They're like, what's moving under that blanket right there? You know, it's like they don't want it there. Carolina, this is not going in my house. Because she had furniture and she's moving in. There's furniture that's got to go in its place. And as long as that big, ugly white couch is dirty, that's worn out, is sitting in my living room, we can't bring it in. We can't bring in the new stuff. Besides that, it didn't match anything that we had. And it just was useless. It's like this big white couch is sitting there. And you know what I was doing for six years? Just letting it sit there. Because it's like, oh, you know, I got no motivation to move it out. And after a while, here's what happens. You totally forget that there's the ugly white couch in your living room. You totally forget that it's ugly, it's dirty, and it doesn't match anything. You just keep coming in, you're regular, okay, here's this couch. It's just there, week after week. So we moved it out, we took it outside, because it's like, this isn't the place that it's going to go. And here's what I, I want to talk about. Some of us have big, ugly, white couches in our lives that we need to move out before we can move in what's new. You need to see, we've gotten so used to this thing in our life that we don't even realize it's there. We've been maneuvering around it on a daily basis, and yet it's still there. And it hasn't occurred to us that because it's in the middle of our life, something new can't come in. Listen, when it comes to change, we sometimes have to move some things out before we can bring the new in. Listen, in your outline, if you'll pull it out, I'm going to put down three things that hold us back from change. Three things in our lives that can hold us back. Listen, the first one is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. You know, I think it's naturally that we think that way, right? We say, well, if I'm having problems with someone and there's this issue that we're having and we're not forgiving each other, well, it's natural that that is a dead thing just sitting in my life. Because here's what happens. I, I avoid them, right? I don't talk to them. Or if I have to, I do kind of like, they're like, hi, hi. You know, it's like one of those where you pass them, right? That's all you do. And there's nothing going on there. It's just like this big, dead, white thing in the middle of our relationship. We understand that when it comes to relationships. But do you realize you're not going to move on in that relationship, but you're also not really going to move on spiritually? Did you know that? Listen, when I'm mad at Carolina, <laughs> or when she's mad at me, when we get in an argument... Like, you know how it is, right? You storm out. You're angry. You're right. She's wrong. You know, and you're like thinking and I'm storming and I'm stewing and I'm like, I'm not going to forgive her for that one right now. I'm going to let her think about that. 
you know? And then I'm thinking, well, you know what? I'm just going to make myself feel better and I'm going to pray to God, you know? And I start praying like I'm going to be spiritual, right? Oh, God, you know, I'm so close to you. I'm so pure and perfect, you know? And then as I'm doing that, and I sometimes you don't want to know Scripture verses, okay? Sometimes you don't want to know them in your head. Because this one verse comes to my mind. This pesky verse always pops up. Listen, I'm putting it on the screen for you here. It says, it says this. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. They would go to the temple and offer a sacrifice to God because they needed forgiveness. Because they wanted to restore relationship with their God. They wanted to commune with Him and meet Him right where God would meet them in the temple. And yet He says, listen, if there's something going on between you and someone else, don't come to me first. Listen, put that down. You might go to Him for advice. But don't like, you're not buddy-buddy with me when you've got something else going on in your life. He says, go, don't talk to me, go talk to them. The truth is... This is a very nice way of saying something that Jesus said in another area of Scripture. He says, if you don't forgive your brother, then I'm not going to forgive you. He says, listen, go and do that. And there's this thing that we don't understand. So when I start praying and I, this thing comes to my mind, I'm like, God, you're not going to listen to me now. I need to go talk to her. It's the very thing I don't really want to do, you know. But I go and I do it because that's what God is saying. Listen, you can't move on spiritually. You can't keep drawing closer to me when you've got this issue in your life with someone else. Listen, you see, you and I, we're not as godly as we think when we have unforgiveness in our heart. In the kingdom of heaven, there's like no room for unforgiveness. We're not going to be up in heaven and be like, you know, I'm not going to talk to him. He stepped on my cloud and broke my harp string. You know, this is not going to happen. This is not going to be there. And we're moving to an area where unforgiveness, we have to move it out of our lives. Because God's saying, listen, it's something that's keeping you from moving on. You won't be able to move on, not only spiritually, but emotionally, because it's going to become an obsession for you. You see, resentment, anger, and unforgiveness, they say something about our character. It's not about one relationship when you think about it. It's about something about our character. And if it's there, we need to look at it, examine it, and bring it to God and see how we can remove it. Listen, the second thing is sinful habits. Sinful habits. These things will keep good things from coming into your life. Listen, it's been well said. Sin will take you farther than you want it to go. It will keep you longer than you want it to stay. And it will cost you more than you want it to pay. It's true, isn't it? Sin just leads you into this area where it's like pushing everything else out. Man, it will use up your resources, your money, your time, your efforts, your energy. Because sin wants everything in your life. It wants to push everything else out. You see, darkness and light, they don't kill us this very well. Sin wants to just take over. It wants to occupy. And it's very jealous because it, all, it wants you all to itself. And you see, when we have this sin in our life, it becomes obsession for us. We all want positive change in our lives, right? We all want something good. And yet when we have sin, it keeps us from the, having the good that God wants to give us. Listen, sinful habits will keep you from moving forward. That's why Paul said this. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. 
Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. I mean, can you imagine, like, getting ready to run a race, and then, like, what are those things called? Those big sucker fish, those remoras, right? Like, all over your body? I mean, they're going to be trying to run, they're going to be hitting you and, and keeping you from running and getting tangled up and you'd be tripping and falling and pulsing. Listen, it's kind of like that. When you're in your life, you're running this race. You're trying to get somewhere. You're trying to get somewhere new, something better, and yet you've got this stuff weighing you down. You've got these sins, these things that you just need to come off. They need to be dropped off in order for you to get to a better place. If you're stuck in a situation right now that's not right with God, the only way you'll be able to move into a better place is if you sit down and work it out. Sit down with God and work it out. Listen, another thing that will keep change from coming into your life is regret. Regret. You know that January is named for a Roman god? His name is Janus. And Janus is the god of gates, the god of doorways, the god of new beginnings. I have a picture of Janus here because he's pretty interesting. Janus has two heads. You see that? He's got two heads. It's not like a mistake and the, you know, the, the guy who was carving it made a mistake. He has two heads. And they do this big celebration where January came from the new year. They celebrate when they worship this God and they bring in the new year because uh, he is helping to bring in the new. But the thing with this guy is he's looking backwards, too, at the same time. I think, like, if I was, you know, this would be a great feature if you were, like, a parent, right? Because you like, hey, I saw that, you know. And they can't get away with anything, you know. But these guys, what happens, I wonder, when they argue? <laughs> what happens when this guy, he's looking backward, he sees something, and this one sees something, and they both want to go in the same, a different direction, right? They can't go anywhere. Because you can't go anywhere when you're looking behind you and in front of you at the same time. And that's what regret is like for you and me. We're looking at something in our past, and we keep looking at it, and we can't go forward because... It won't allow us to. Uh, Listen, Paul understood this very well. So well, he made this resolution. Listen to what it says. Not that I have already attained, or am I already perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of for that which Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. He's like saying, listen guys, I've made some mistakes. I'm not perfect. I've done a lot of things. I've blown it. I've blown it in my walk with God. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've done a lot of bad things. But listen to what he says. But one thing I do, one thing, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Look, I'm not going to look back, Paul says, at the things and the failures the mistakes that I've made or the things that even happened to me that weren't even my fault. I'm not going to look at those, but instead I'm going to press forward. I need to cut that God's other half off so we only look in one direction, forward. You see, regrets can do that for you and me in our lives. You know, I don't know what your past is, but I am so familiar with regrets. I know there are people who say that they don't have regrets, regrets because they learned something from it. I agree, I learned something from it, but you know what? I still have regrets. I'm sorry. I've just done too many stupid things. Listen, I tried out for football my senior year of high school. You can tell I'm not really built for it, but I wanted to try it. So I joined the team, and I, and I so wanted to play. I just, I don't know what it was. I just loved that sport. I loved hitting people. I loved, 
I, I didn't mind getting hit. Man, I was in it. Well, the first game comes, and I'm not a starter, but they put me on the, the, the goon squad, you know, the, re, the recovery teams, the uh, special teams. So they do the kickoff, and I'm on the way end of the field. You're on, you know, the whole team runs down. I'm on the end. Now, my job is to contain the guy who gets the ball, not to let him run outside and get a line down the end and run. Well, we all run, but it's my first time ever playing a real game. So I'm a little hesitant, and I'm running slower than everybody else. I'm, like, watching to see what's going to happen, you know, because I've only ever watched from the sidelines. And as I get closer to the guy, the guy takes off. He starts running in my direction, right? And I'm way behind everybody else, but I start seeing him coming. I'm just thinking, John, just grab and hold on tight. Just grab and hold on tight. So this guy hits me. I grab him. I hold his leg. And he's dragging me down the field. But, you know, I didn't let go. And other guys came and helped out. And finally he was tackled. And I'm thinking to myself, I blew it. I should have tackled him earlier. But I was happy that I at least tackled him. So I'm running over to the sidelines. And there's the coach. Coach Warren, he looks at me and he starts yelling at me, Solaroli, you blew that. You didn't contain him. You didn't let, you let him get outside. Go sit down on the bench. And I'm like, oh, my God. I tackled him. What are you talking about? And uh, he put me on the bench. So here's what. Through the whole thing, I'm talking to the coaches. And yeah, listen, I tackled them. Look at the game thing. You know, and I'm telling them on the way home, I'm telling them I'm so upset that I'm on the, field, on the thing. And I went to tell them I was right. Well, it didn't end there, you know, because the next practice, hey, did you see the game? Did you see the, the film? You saw that I tackled him, right? My number was 88. You remember? That was the guy. Just look at it again. And weeks would go by, and I would still be talking to him. And then one day, this assistant coach would come up to me, and he said, he said, John, Solaroli, would you just let it go? Forget about it. And all of a sudden, it was like this frying pan just hit me in the side of the head. And I was like, why am I holding on to some stupid play? so I can prove I'm right? And I was holding on to this thing, and all of a sudden, very many things in my life suddenly came clear into picture about my character and who I am. And I said, oh my God, Lord, I've been holding on to this thing so long and so hard that nothing new is coming into my life. The coaches didn't want to hear me. They didn't want to walk up to me because I'm going to start talking to them about something stupid that they don't want to hear about anymore. They don't want to give me the opportunities because I'm just sitting there bugging them. And I was like holding on to this one thing because I wanted to prove that I was right. You know, regret usually comes in different forms. There's like three concerns that I can think of right now. It says, and one of those is um, not knowing. Sometimes not knowing why something happened. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just live in that. I've got to know what happened. I've got to know why. i just got to find that out. I've got to find the reason. Why did they leave me? Why did I get fired? Why didn't this work out? What's going on? And we just stay there, and we stay there, and we stay there so long. This giant white couch is in the middle of our living room, and I can't move it out. We don't even recognize that it's there. I didn't even know the, the, the white couch was there until the assistant coach pointed it out to me. Another thing is not knowing the reason why, but trying to prove something. Like I just said, you, we, just, we don't give up. You know, we're holding on to something when we were five years old. You know, you know, Dad, I was right about that. You know? And it's time that it doesn't really matter. Another thing is that we're just hoping a situation will change. We're just hoping a situation will change. And we're living in that situation. We're wishing we could relive it, go back there. Man, I've done so many stupid things. Sometimes there were my mistakes, or sometimes it's things that happened to you. Something that wasn't even your fault. But maybe it was a, a moment of weakness that changed everything in your life, that you just haven't let go in your life. Maybe it's a certain relationship that you had from long ago, that, man, it just keeps coming back up into your mind, and you just can't move on. It's keeping you from having the good things come into your life. I'm going to share this with you because 
I hope it will help somebody. But there's sometimes that there are certain relationships that we just have to let go. When I was six years old, my father and mother decided they were going to leave. And there were five kids. And they said, John, well, they didn't say John. They said, all of us, they put us on a bus five states away. They sent us to our grandparents. I went to live with my grandparents. My grandfather died five years later. I was about 10 or 11, somewhere around there. My father comes. I hadn't seen him in five years. He comes and he's there for the funeral. We're in the house. I came running upstairs. Because all this time, for all this time that he'd been away, and they'd both been away, I've been thinking, God, maybe they'll come back together. Maybe we'll be a family again. Maybe they'll get back together. They'll want their kids back, and we'll have this great thing. And you're hoping against hope, always hoping and hoping and hoping and hoping. And I held on to this, this hope, this little dream that I had. Well, I came running upstairs, and I said, Dad, Dad. And I don't even know what I was going to tell him. And he said, John, hold on a minute. He says, don't call me dad. Call me by my name because I'm not your father. Now, I don't like sharing that because it's embarrassing. It was embarrassing at the time because there was a bunch of people around. And I thought to myself, how could you say that? You are. But as difficult as it was to hear, it was what I needed to hear, strangely enough. Because at that moment on, I said, you know what? I'm not going to hold out for this thing that's just not going to happen anymore. I need to move on. I need to move forward. And I didn't do it in resentment. I didn't do it because I was angry or mad. I just said, you know what? I did it because that was reality. And there may be something in your life, some relationship that you just got to say, listen, I've got to move on with it now. It's just time because it's not going to happen. It's time that has to just leave it and move forward. Listen, these things are so important to deal with because when we have them... We just, we, after so long, you don't recognize it anymore. The white couch is sitting there right in the middle of your life right now. And you haven't even seen it because you've gotten so used to it being there. Listen, here's the interesting thing. You can't move backward either, right? Because with regret, you're always trying to get there. But you can't move backward. You can't go back in time. But what you do end up doing is relive it. And instead of living in today, you're reliving it over and over and over again. You can't go back and change it, and you can't go forward because you're stuck reliving it. Only we begin to face the issues, unforgiveness, sinful habits, and regret, will we be able to move forward and deal with the things that God wants to bring in our lives. Because God has something greater in store for you guys. Listen, when we move the old things out, then we have room for the new. When I mentioned, are you going to rearrange your, your living room? And maybe, maybe you guys said, oh, you know, hey, that's a good idea, but I wouldn't even know where to start. You know, that's kind of like me. I have no clue. I kind of have some ideas what I want, 50-inch plasma or a flat screen. I want maybe a certain color. I'd like some space over here because I'd like to stretch out, whatever it is. It's like you, you know kind of what you want, but you don't know how it's going to look. So you're just probably going to move everything right back, right? But there are a couple people in your life who can just have an eye for it. Hey, what if you were to just turn that this way? Oh, my God, it changed everything. You know what I mean? I don't know who this These people have this, I, this knack for it. I don't have that knack. Right, so what you do is you would go to like a magazine, right? Like these home magazines. You would check it out and see like a picture. And when you see one that you like, you go, wow, that's what I want. That's the vision that I have for my living room. And you see, when we want to move things in, one of the, the first thing, the thing that we need to get is a vision. Because when we have a vision, then things begin to seem clear to us. Then things uh, will come into focus. Listen, having a vision is the catalyst for change in your life. 
In the year 2006, probably about this time, that would be 2005, just before it began, I decided I was going to run a triathlon. I had never run one in my life. I jogged and I'd done some swimming. I was not a big biker. But I said, listen, I wanted to do one because I've always wanted to do one my whole life. I don't know why. I just wanted to. And I said, this is the year. I'm going to run a triathlon. And you know what? I said, that's it. I'm going to do it. And I decided to do it. A triathlon, if you don't know it, is usually you do three events. You do, you swim, you swim a half mile, depending on what it is. This one is swim a half mile, bike 10 miles, and then run three. All in a row. All in a row. You just can run the whole race, and they time you for that. And I just was dying to do it, so I decided I was going to do it. And because I had this vision in my life that year, it did four things for me, and I want to share them with you. Having a vision, it's in your outline, allows me to move forward with one focus. It gave me focus. Listen, it's going to help tell you what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. A lot of times we do nothing because we don't have a vision. But when you have a vision, it's going to begin to become very clear how you're going to proceed in your life. Because I had this goal to run the triathlon, the first thing I did was I went and I researched, where do they do it? You know, where am I going to go? And I found one in Miami in September, and I said, that's good, I'm going to do that, and I registered. Now, once I registered, you're locked in, right? So the other thing I had to do was I had to get some equipment, so I got uh, a few things. I had to buy some things. I had to buy a bike, because if you're going to, you can't bike without a bike, and, and they require you to wear a helmet, and I had to get goggles, oh, there they are, and a, and a thing for my hair, and some sneakers, and also <clears throat> these little things right here. Mark was trying to convince me to come out wearing these today. But I said, no, nah, I want to spare you guys a little of the agony. So, <laughs> so I got those. And then I had to come up with a plan. And I talked to a few friends, and someone emailed me this eight-week plan. But if you start at the beginning of that eight weeks, and it gets you through this regimen of training, that by the end, you'll be able to at least complete it alive. So I said, okay, I am going to start that plan. And I also had to watch what I was eating. I had to take a little bit better intake. I had to do the carb thing once in a while, the protein. I had to drink a lot more than I usually drink to stay hydrated. And I started to do all these things because I had a focus for what I was going to do. And do you know that Jesus had a focus for his life? Jesus' focus for his life was to die on the cross for you and me. And everything that he did in his life was based on that. He had laser-like focus because he had one vision, one goal. Listen to what it says in the Gospel of Luke. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was like staring at that thing. Like Flint, it says in one of the, one of the uh, translations. There was nothing that was going to deter him from going. See, having a vision for what you want to do is going to give you focus. Listen, the second thing it's going to do is give you endurance. Endurance. You see, I trained eight weeks. I got ready. I biked. I swam. I ran. I even went to the ocean a couple times because it was going to be in the ocean so that I would be kind of prepared because I'd been doing it in the pool. Listen, just last week, somebody asked me that they told me they were planning on running a triathlon. So I said, well, after all that training, I wanted to give them some advice. And I said, this is the one piece of advice I want to give you. Don't quit. Here's what's going to happen, I told him. The first day you go out and run, you're going to start running. You're going to get to like 
a tenth of a mile, a quarter of a mile, and you're going to start wheezing, your lungs are going to burn, you're going to get a pain in your side, your legs are going to hurt, and you're going to want to quit. And you're thinking, this is a quarter of a mile? There's no way I'm going to get three miles. There's no hope. And I said, listen, don't listen to that lie. Because your body can do a lot more than you think it can. Stick it out. Keep going. Keep your eyes focused. And it will help you endure. When you see the vision, getting there is what's going to help you endure. That's what's going to keep you going. Listen, the day of the race came. I trained for eight weeks. I showed up. I got a picture. It was early in the morning. I had to set the alarm, make sure I was there, because it was like 7 in the morning. Michelle Barella, if you know her, she was, came with me. So did Carolina. But here I am. without My, my shorts are under that. I didn't want to wear them all the time. So uh, here I am. I'm bringing my bike in. We're going to South Beach. <clears throat> and we go and get set up. And... Uh, when I show up, there are people, all shapes, all sizes, all ages, young and old. There were people in their 70s running this. There were kids that were under like 10 years old. There were people that had big bellies, people who had small bellies. There were people who were tall, who were short. Every type of person, I'm like amazed that so many other people had a vision to go and do the same thing. And listen, there was about 500 people there. And so what they do is they, they divide you up. And there are people who are like professionals so they have like seven heats, and a heat is you, you go in a group, and another group, and they let you go, and every seven minutes they'd let another group go. And there was like the professional women, professional men, under 40 men, under 40 women, over 40 men, over 40 women. And then the last group was my group, and that was the new, the new first-timers, and what they call the Clydesdales and the Athenas. And those are the women and men over a certain weight, so it's a nice way of saying that. So they figure we're all going to be the slowest, so we're the last group. So we're, there we are, we're standing, I'm standing on the beach, and I got a picture of the, the next picture, there I am, and if you don't know, this one right here is me, and I see if I look like I'm shell-shocked, it's because I am. I'm like, I've never done this before, and I'm staring there, and I'm like thinking, what am I, I'm, alright, I'm going to do this now, just, and all I can think of is, John, make it through the first thing, get to the other side, get to the, get back to the beach, just get back to the beach. And so we start running, and we go, we go flying into the water. Now at the time that our heat goes, this giant school of fish decides to swim by at the same time. And go ahead and to the, to the... Do you see these things right here? Do you see them all? Carolina couldn't believe it. She never saw it. And I said, go look at the film. I'm like, I jump in and fish are smacking me in the head and hitting me all over the body. And people are swimming on me and smacking me. And I'm like, I'm like, I gotta quit. You know, <laughs> I gotta get out of here. <laughs> and I'll tell you, if I was actually swimming the other way, I would have gotten out. But I was like, I'm like, no way. I, I did eight, I did eight weeks. I'm going to finish this race. So I like, I start swimming and I just like, I'm going to go for it. And I jump, I pull up my mouth out of the water and a huge gulp of water goes down my throat. It came down like in an instant. I think a fish went in there as well. It was that much went into my stomach. And I'm like, forget it. Just keep going. And I kept going and going. I got past the first buoy. You go out a thousand feet and then you swim down a mile and you, a half mile, you swim back in. And I made it and I finally get up and I'm tired. I'm telling you, people were so tired after the swim. They're laying down on the beach. And all I could think in my head was, John, don't stop your feet moving. Just keep running. Just keep running. Just don't stop. And I just kept going. And I just kept going. And I was beat. I was tired. I ran over and I got my bike. I got on my bike, which is the worst thing in my thing for me to do. And I get on my bike because I'm not good at it. And I'm biking and I'm thinking, all right, just pass more people than pass you. And so I'm biking and I'm going and I'm counting people and I'm going over the hill and we're over that causeway that goes, was it 395, whatever, we're Star Island, that area. We're going over that. We go over to Miami. We come back and then I'm on that last little causeway and I see it and I'm going like, 
all right, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm going to take this thing fast. I'm just going to get over it and go and be done with it. So I start pedaling hard, and I boom, I go over it. And I don't know if you guys have ever done wind sprints before when you've been training. Some of you guys may have. That's when they run really fast back and forth, back to touch the line, back to touch the line. Listen, if there's any way that you guys want to throw up and get rid of what's in your stomach to do some wind sprints, I started feeling that feeling, and I'm like, uh-oh. And I'm like, i, I got to rest. And I'm like, hey, I can't. I can't even get off this bike. You know, you're strapped in. And I'm like going, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And all I could think of, I swear, all I could think of was, I, I can't quit now. I can't quit now. I've got to get over this. I've got to do it. Uh, so I, I leaned over, and <laughs> it was coming. I couldn't stop it. So green seawater and a little blue Gatorade came flying out of my mouth. The, the guys looked at me that were on the construction guy. They're like, dude, just give it up. You know, I'm like, I'm like no way. And I get off my bike. And I start walking to the transition area where you're supposed to. I got a picture of me walking to the transition area. There I am. I just had thrown up. I got, I got, I get in the transition area. I, now I'm in the run. I'm, and I just said, I'm not going to give up. I just kept going. And then eventually the last picture, one more picture, somewhere soon. It'll come up. When you see it. Okay. No more pictures. So uh, there, there it is. I finished. I finished. Man, I'm keeping you guys long today. <laughs> Thanks. Listen, it was the vision that I had that allowed me to endure all the things that I didn't think I could do. It made me go farther and greater than I ever thought was possible. Listen to what Jesus said, or, or Paul says about Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfect of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Man, he endured the cross because his vision was to go and to die for you and me. He's like, I'm not going to stop. I don't care. Though he was beaten, though he was, I mean, he was ridiculed, he was shamed. All the things that happened to him, he's not going to do it. It allows you to endure things that you never thought you would be able to endure. Listen, not only that, it'll bring you number three, peace. It'll bring you peace. Listen, when you know what you're doing, it naturally brings peace. You want to get rid of an employee? Have him come to the office and don't tell him what his job is. That person will not stay there because he'll feel restless or she'll feel restless. They'll feel so restless because there won't be peace because they don't know what they're supposed to do. Anyone would probably work hard than not, work at not know what they're supposed to do. Peace comes in your life when you have a vision and you know where you're going. Listen, number four, passion passion. Listen, it'll bring a passion to your life. Man, I started reading about triathlons. I started learning about them. People spend 2000 easy on a bike, maybe 10000 just to do them. Your resources go toward what you have your vision for. Man, I would only wear this because I had a passion to do it. Listen, have you been in a place where you don't feel motivated? Maybe it's because you don't have a vision for something. Maybe because right now you're not sure. You don't have a goal and you're just like, man, I, I don't feel motivated. I don't feel like there's something going on in my life. Listen to what the Bible says. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Some people die because they lack a dream. They walk around feeling like a ghost. Useless without passion and zeal in their life. Listen, there's a difference between dying because you don't have a dream and dying for your dream. I think we all, man, think about that, right? We all would love a passion 
to have a passion for our dreams, so much so that we would die for it. Man, that's the kind of thing that like stories are made of. That's the kind of thing like dreams, right, are made of. We'd love to have something that we would actually want to die for. But it starts with a dream. It starts with a vision of what could be. <clears throat> Listen, imagine a dream so powerful that it could change the world. I'm going to read one man's dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out its true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of farmer slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. We will, we, when we all allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we'll be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of our old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. And that vision came true. In just a few days, we're going to have a black president. And Martin Luther King's children are going to be able to see it. Because he had a vision and a passion that he was willing to die for. Listen, can you pull out your outline for a minute? If you don't already have it out, could you pull it out? Listen, in there I put a space for us to write three goals. You see, many of us have maybe like a hundred goals. But we're never going to accomplish all those for next year. But if we can narrow it down to three, and we can just do three of them, and look back and say, these are three things that I accomplished, that we can have a vision for, that will give us focus, that will give us endurance, that will give us peace, and will give us a passion for this year. I want to encourage you to write them down. It might be different areas of your life that you could pick. It could be your family, your home, something spiritual, financial, physical, educational, social, or your career. And you can look back in a year and say, listen, these are the things that I have accomplished. Listen, write down those three goals. And you don't have to. If you have one now, you just thought about it, write it down. If not, take it home this week and do it. Carolina and I are going to do it together. If you have a spouse, you might want to do it with them. Say, these are the goals that I want to accomplish. Listen, I want to say one more thing. Change begins when I take the first step. Change begins when I take the first step. Man, maybe you've heard me say this before, but I think it's worth repeating whether it was in the book of Judges, whether it was in Exodus, whether it was in the Kings, whenever Israel stepped onto the battlefield when God asked them to, God showed up in a big way. They didn't even have to do the fighting. God did it. God showed up. But what they did have to do is show up. Some of you are waiting for God to do something in your life, but you need to take a step. You've been praying about it. You've been thinking about it. And you're like, God, have you answered me yet? But you need to take that first step. Listen to what the Bible says. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. When will you hear that voice? Whenever you take the step. You step in that, okay. God will say, yes, that's the way. Or you take that step and say, hey, try the other foot. But we need to take a step. If it's godly, it's biblical. And it's not hurting people, then you take that step. 
God's made you and created you to be who you are. And if your desire and passion is to do a certain thing, you've prayed about it, then go and do it. And God's going to use it for His glory. Listen, if you have your connection card available, listen, take a next step. Take the next step. If If you said, listen, I need to get my finances in order, then maybe a good first step for you would be to take the financial seminar that we're offering. If you want to do that, then sign up for it right now. If it comes to spirituality in your life, would a good next step be baptized? Then then check that off. When it comes to being used more for the kingdom of God, would a good next step for you to be to start serving? Then check that off. If you say, God, I just want you to, to be able to bless others if you bless me then would opening your home for a small group be a good way to do that? Then just check that off. But you and I, despite everything that's going on around us this next year, it can be better than last year. In fact, it could be your best year ever. You know, God is waiting to bring change into your life. He's itching for us to just step onto the battlefield so He can bring something good. But you have to take the first step. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you, Father, that maybe you're shedding some light in some hearts today. Lord, maybe on some things that, some, that we've had that are white couches in our life, man, that are just sitting there. And Lord, that we've been sitting on, we've been walking around, and we just don't even realize it anymore. But maybe today you've revealed something to us. And I pray, Lord, give us the strength, give us the courage, and give us the hope to move on and to move forward. Lord, I pray that everyone here, that you would begin to instill a vision in them. As they begin to pray to you, Lord, may you speak to them through your word and through your spirit. Lord, give them goals that next year would be better than this year. Lord, that you might use them in incredible ways. Lord, I pray that for everyone here. And Lord, we thank you for being our God and for loving us and for sending Jesus with one focus to save save us from our sin. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.